I'm Dawn Ennis. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. And you're in the International Transporter Room this week. We travel around the planet, down under to Sydney, Australia, where we'll talk to Caroline Late. She is a legend, and we're so blessed to have her with us, finally, in the Transporter Room. Carly, what's been going on in your part of the world? What's been going on in my part of the world? Just a lot of... A lot of work. Good. A lot of work, work especially good. in this especially in this week. Of course, this is Trans Awareness Week. Indeed. And and a lot of things have been happening around Outsports and just around my general area. I'm I participated in an open night mic a couple nights ago at the New Haven Pride Center. Congratulations. I'm also I'm also going to be a part of a number of Trans Awareness Week local um, local events around where I live in Connecticut. And of course, there's TDOR this coming week, later this coming week, Trans Day Friday, Remembrance. Yes, on the 20th. Yes, on the 20th. The and, annual. And I'm going to be a part of not one, but all, but count them two, two TDOR services that day. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be a busy unit and plus doing a lot of work as a part of the, of the Hartford-based Kimura's Cultural Corner, Black Arts Heal National Tour right now. Kimura, one of our intrepid friends of the friends of the podcast, is hitting the road, hitting the highways and byways to discuss healing and reconciliation in this post-election moment. And I'm doing a lot of work around that as well. So I'm busy right now. And that's but- good. I got to tell you, Kimura is in the new issue of Connecticut Voice Magazine. She is one of the groups that I recommend people donate to instead of spending money at a big box store, instead of making the UPS guy or girl completely overloaded with holiday gifts, instead of just giving another doodad to your friends and loved ones, why not make a donation to a group that will do something for our community? Now, Kamora's Cultural Center is not a nonprofit. She pays taxes and wants to because she wants to have a stake in how things happen in Hartford. But she's one of 12, which I thought was a good number for the holidays, 12 groups that I profile in Connecticut Voice Magazine. And coming up, I'm so delighted, I got to talk to Santa Claus via Zoom for Connecticut Voice Out Loud, which is appearing every Saturday night in the Hartford, New Haven area. And it'll be on YouTube eventually. I'm so excited. I'm excited too. And Dawn, I know you're doing some great work writing some stuff, but I also want to shout out something special based on last week, based on last or last edition of the transporter room. What was that? A couple, couple days ago, great thing happened out in Kirkwood, Washington. Bobby Jones's legal name change became official. Congratulations, Bobby. Bobby Ramel Jones, congratulations to you. I look forward to seeing you stopping a lot of goals in the season to come, coronavirus permitting. Once the coronavirus is all put away, it's going to happen. This is going to take some more months, and the next few months could be really hard. You know, I've been thinking about this, and I cleared it with our big boss. I'm going to make Outsports just one more voice to let people know Wear a damn mask. It protects you. It protects me. It is going to make a difference. 
hundreds of thousands of people will not die if all of us wear a mask. Agreed. I mean, wear your, wear your mask because the cases are going up. And I tell people, if you're upset about the fact that you can't go to you can't go to your family outing for Thanksgiving, you sowed the seeds of this back in the spring at the beginning of this pandemic when you were told wear a mask and many of you didn't do it. It's the same way with the college. You have an abbreviated college football season for the same reason. You have school schedules in disarray for the same reason. So now let's just come together, take a little responsibility and just make the sacrifice of putting some cloth around your face. It is the easiest sacrifice that any American in the last 50 years has had to make. And it can make such a difference. So please just wear a mask. I heard, I heard New Jersey's governor saying, you know, a lot of people complain it's uncomfortable and it just, you know, I don't like having to wear it. And he said, you know what else is uncomfortable and you won't like a ventilator or dying. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, that kind of map, you know, that ventilator thing, that's no joke. Well, that I will is say, a scary thing. I heard a lady on uh, one of the Sunday morning shows on this week with my friend, Martha Raditz. She says, well, it's 97% uh, survivable. So I just take my vitamins. What's the big deal? It's like the flu. <sighs> I wish you could tell those 200,000 people who say it's not like the flu because I'm dead. <sighs> it just drives me crazy. Hey, Carly. So um, tell us about the two events you're doing so people can follow you wherever you go on Friday the 20th, which is the Transgender Day of Remembrance. And a quick shout out. Thank you, Gwen Smith, for helping organize this 22 years ago and making it happen. We owe it all to you. Yeah, um, no, I'm doing one earlier, earlier in that day at the New Haven Pride Center. And that's actually going to be an in-person one. They're going to get together. They're still going to do the the get together rally and a march back to the Navy Pride Center, but they're going to do it very safe and very socially distanced. They are, they've already set up the protocols to keep people safe. And then after that virtual celebration with, with your favorite congregation in mind, the Metropolitan Community Church of Hartford, our good friend, Reverend Aaron Miller, another friend of the podcast, We'll officiate that celebration. I'm looking forward to being a part of it. It's the first time I've been to the Hartford celebration. And well, it's also be a Zoom thing. It's not really yes. not really going anywhere. <laughs> but but I also hear that a certain Dawn Ennis is a part of it. Well, and, not only me, but I've got a whole group of folks at Congregation Beth Israel. We're Jewish. We have a pride committee. We flew a pride flag for the month of June. We had a pride Shabbat and this Friday is also Shabbat and Tidor. And what we're doing is we're going together read a Hebrew prayer called the Mourner's Kaddish. And it's very important because it's not about, oh, hello, there's a message. It's not about, is it from God? <laughs> it's not about death so much as our faith, our faith in a higher power that hopefully will help us survive these difficult times. And, you know, I think people forget those numbers that we hear bandied about, about how many transgender people are murdered every year. That's the at least number. And the at least number in America, in the United States, 
a couple dozen, like think it's 36 currently. I, I forget. It's the highest year ever, though. But it's it's hundreds of people around the world, hundreds, especially Brazil. But yes, in America, in the United States, it's and the worst year ever. Something I say a lot is not only do you have oh, so many names, Tito, you hear a lot of names, but for every one name that you hear, there's two or three that don't have a name. And there will be a special tribute to our dear friend, Monica. Yes. <sighs> yes. I'm still in mourning. I, I think of her almost every day. I think of her in ways like, oh, I should ask Monica. Oh, I should text. Oh, I, I can't. Yeah, it, it, I mean, that's going to stay with us for a while. We, tra the trans community here in the United States lost a Titan. And, and the real sad thing is, is that I really believe not even our greater trans community in this country understands how what we've lost. I really don't think a lot of people understand what we lost. In every panel discussion I'm a part of with New Haven Pride Centers uh, online events this week, the name Monica Roberts will be spoken with me and it'll be spoken with respect and with reverence. I agree. Uh, I am also speaking at NYU uh, virtually. Uh, there's a Zoom panel uh, that I'm taking part in on the 19th. I'm very excited about it. Um, Travel Anderson is joining me. David Artavia, my friend from Out Magazine. And uh, Meredith Bennett-Smith from NBC. So it'll be fun. Um, I'm very glad to take part in this panel because I feel like when I get a chance to speak at the microphone, I'm speaking for Monica Roberts. I'm speaking for everyone who doesn't have a voice. And uh, this will be exciting. Now, speaking of people with a voice, there's been someone we've been writing about in Outsports for months and months and months and months, but it seldom seems that we've actually heard her voice. So how about we set coordinates, Carly, for Sydney, Australia, for Caroline Late. Firing up the transporter for Sydney, Australia. Oh, listen to this. She's mocking your accent, Caroline. <laughs> G'day, mate. <laughs> Put a shrimp on the barbie. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Advanced Australia Fair. The Caroline Late, welcome to the transporter room. Do you have, do you have a bigger knife? Like, uh, is it Paul Hogan? Is that what you're Yeah, Paul Hogan. <laughs> yeah, Paul Hogan. So, uh, yeah, my knife's bigger. Uh, that's a knife. That's a knife. <laughs> That's what you call a knife. But, um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, talking about, um, you know, Advanced Australia Fair, I think we should include all people. So um, they say young and free. There's been a lot of debate about our national anthem. So, oh, my, my son, my oldest son loves your national anthem. He actually plays it incessantly. Wow. Yeah. Why are you changing good, it? It's a good national anthem. Um, you know, but that, I think just I want to change the words from young and free, which sort of excludes Indigenous people. Oh, I get it. Now they want to uh, make it, um, you know, all and free or something like that. But um, I are, we are Australians quite um, popular. So they, they don't want it. That might even become um, a national anthem. But anyway, we'll see how we go. <laughs> now, it's 9.20 p.m. as we record this on Monday. Oh, there's another message. And what time is it in, in Sydney, Australia? And what day is it? <laughs> it's uh 1 20 p.m and last time i looked it was tuesday so <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's listening to this i hope on wednesday 
So it's time travel in the transporter room. Yeah, but we've been, but we've been doing that a lot. I mean, think about it. I mean, we've had two trips. This is our second trip into Australia for the for the for the podcast this year. Also, including the the two um, the two ventures down to no three down to New Zealand. Zealand, yeah, New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah. We, we get down there a lot. Yeah. Yep, yep. We've got to love our Kiwi um, cousins. So. <laughs> So, hey, Caroline, we're both in Connecticut in the United States. Yes. I'd like to ask you, have you ever been to the USA? I have. I have indeed. So um, here comes trouble. So if you hear noise in the background, my dog is um, misbehaving. Oh, it's fine. What's your doggy's name? Uh, his name's Duke. So um, he's a staffy and he's very noisy at times. So I'm hoping he settles down. Um, I was going to go out to the car. Um, that's my backup plan. But the, the internet. Oh, no, no. So that's fine. That's um, fine. Yeah. So anyway, I have been to the US, and um, I've been to—I haven't been to Connecticut, um, but I've been to um, other parts of the US, and I love it. I love going to the US. Well, I'm sure Carly and I would love to have you come up sometime, and I'm game for a visit. I know Carly's been down under, but I've never had the pleasure. Tell me a little bit about what's happening in terms of trans acceptance and inclusion where you are. Um, uh, I think it's still a big part of, um, well, you know, they, they, well, I suppose in the sporting background, it, it's been quite good because we had those guidelines come out. Um, so uh, I think there was 13 different sports that, um, about acceptance, um, for transgender people playing sport, but, um, you know, as far as, as far as wider society goes, I think there's probably still that, um, you know, let's be, um, a little bit, uh, you know, it's sort of still in the background, let's say it's not um, out in the open for a lot of people to be trans. Um, but yeah, as far as the sporting um, landscape goes, it's been, it's been very good because um, Cricket Australia and all of other sports, um, rugby, um, despite the World Rugby ban of trans women rugby players have come on board, Touch Football Australia, um, and there's a, there's a whole lot, load of sports there that have, have, have um, included inclusive um guidelines for trans people to play. Now, we're going to get to the world rugby controversy and how you've been very vocal within it. But yes. first, how important was it that basically mainstays in Australian sport stood up and said, we as a nation will affirm inclusiveness in our sport, inclusiveness for trans people in Australian sport. What kind of message do you feel that sent to transgender Australians? And what did that mean? I mean, as an athlete, what did that mean to you to see those bodies do that in such a fashion? Uh, for me, it meant heaps. It meant all the world because um, I had my own struggles when I played. Um, but, you know, it just meant so much that trans people can play and you can play and, um, and that our national rugby body said, well, despite what World Rugby's doing, we're not going with that. And you're allowed, allowed to play as a trans woman rugby player. So that, you know, that gives trans um, women um, an outlet to play sport, you know, whether it is rugby, you know, and that was a sport that was in question. So um, that's, that's so important because if um, they hadn't, if they had have gone along the World Rugby route, then, you know, I, I, I presume there would have been a lot of, um, trans women that um, would have had to find another sport or it would have um, 
I don't know if the national bodies had have doubled down on what um, World Rugby were doing, then who's to say it's not going to go to other sports, you know, and like a domino effect. So I, I think it was really important that Australia, Rugby Australia, along with a lot of other national bodies, um, said, no, we're not adopting these policies. And they're smart, smart enough to know that in, in court, you know, um, that, you know, I don't think this policy will stand up if tested, you know, by someone who um, wants to go and play on the world stage and is good enough to do that. Um, the biggest problem is probably being selected because, you know, you have to go through the process. So you have to probably have inclusive coaches that are going to allow you to do that. So, but yeah, as far as um, all these national bodies saying that we're um, allowing trans women to play sport, that was absolutely huge. I think it's amazing that the researchers stand by their work despite never studying a single trans women yeah. woman a single trans woman rugby player and not hearing from a single trans woman rugby player it's boggles them it boggles the mind that they would go forward but then they show their hand by instead of having a vote as was promised they just initiate the policy mm -hmm. they just say well it's a recommendation and we'll reevaluate in the new year. Do you buy that? Uh, well, I don't buy it. And I've had my amount of um, fights with some of these people um, on Twitter, which you've um, witnessed. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's, look, it's, it's, total, um, it's total bollocks because not even one transgender sports person was included in their study. Um, and as um, another rugby player in Canada that is quite prominent in, that's trans in Canada said to me, you know, who are they weeding out of those studies? Like, were there uh, trans athletes that applied for those studies, you know? And then they used the thigh muscle, which is probably one of the, your quad is one of your muscles that's probably going to, um, to and it's one year transition, but it's also a muscle that's gonna probably atrophy slower than some of your other muscles. So, but also it's a one year study. So these people were one year transition. They weren't looking at people five years or 10 years down the track. And you can, you start to be able to play at one year post transition um, into your transition. So, um, and for them not to use any transgender athletes just boggles the mind. And, and it, yeah, I just, um, I was just um, blown away by their, uh, by their attitude, I suppose. So yeah, it was it was hard to fathom, and um, and then and on the other hand, they're saying, well, you know, okay, you played at this level, and I won four national rugby titles um for Sydney, um, here um, and you know, but my and I played with and against uh, Wallaroos, Australian rugby players, and but my experience is anecdotal, and I just found that really laughable. Anecdotal. <laughs> yes, I found that. Yeah laughable too now during the summer you basically came out and just laid out the caroline late story mm. you laid you laid it all out and the first thing is you're a great all-around athlete thank you great all i mean i mean great in athletics great in rug great in rugby just all the way around um but i want to get a little bit into that past for a minute because I mean, you weren't just an athlete, like I said, you were a high-level athlete. What was it like for you to compete, but also having to deal with 
having to deal with this. What was the coming out process like for you while competing at a high level? Um, well, yeah, because I played um, in pre-transition. So I was even hiding away there. So um, trying to fit into the cisgender, uh, heteronormative, you know, male persona. And that was playing men's first grade. And then I even tried with South Sydney and NRL club. And it wasn't far away from um, uh, earning a contract. Um, I didn't in the end, but I ended up playing group six as country rugby league. And, um, you know, and I, once again, I was playing with and against Wallaby. So that, that was hard even to hide then. But then, you know, 30 years into um, my life, I decided to transition and when I did decide, I actually came back through the gay games um, and that was my first, I just wanted to test how I'd be received. There was no problems there. And then um, I did a, some gender tests and all that. Cause I, when I came back to mainstream athletics, I wanted Athletics New South Wales and Athletics Australia to have something there. So I'd done the max VO2 test. I was cleared by a sports doctor. I had a non-invasive physical. So I wanted all that out there. So when I competed, if there was controversy, there wouldn't be any problems down the track. In athletics, there was no controversy. And then my first year in rugby, there was no controversy, but I was looking over my shoulder. I was like, how would people receive me if they knew, you know, how would they um, accept me? People who are nice to me now, would they not be nice to me? Um, and it was also hard too, because I was coming from an angle of, I've been doing athletics, but I had, even though I had a pretty rich rugby league and rugby union background, I had to erase all that. So I had to hide that. And people were like, oh, well, you know, um, where have you come from? You know, so I sort of did. And my coach wanted at the time, he knew I was trans and he just wanted me to say, oh, I've been playing in New Zealand, but I didn't want to stack lies upon lies. So I just basically said, um, you know, I've come from a sprinting background and that. And then, then they sort of couldn't believe that I'd never played before. And then all of a sudden I was such a good player. So that, that was sort of hard to... Um, you, you, you just sort of play, when you're playing in stealth, it's just lie, not, not lie. You're just erasing things from your past and this and that. And so you're always looking over your shoulder. When are you going to get found out and this and that? And when I was out, it was actually a relief in a way, even though it was, there was a lot of pain that came with it. So tell me a little bit more about how players and family and friends reacted to your coming out. Were there widespread acceptance? Was there, a uh, person who might have said something to your face that you just didn't expect? How'd you deal with all that? Um, well, it was interesting. Looking back um, when I transitioned, my best friend was a World Cup winning Wallaby. Um, 1991 um, is a Wallaby that played in that World Cup winning team. They beat England 12-6, I think it was. He scored the actual, the only try in the final. He was a front rower. And oh, his name's Tony Daly. And he... he, um, he he was like, I'd hear back from school, I'd, you know, Mush. So my nickname was Mush, um, Mushroom Head, because I had this big mushroom head at school, you know, with the, the big uh, thick hair and all that. And um, so I did you hear Mush is, um, you know, is becoming a woman, you know, and that sort of went viral right around the my old school, boarding school, which is Australia's most prolific um, rugby nursery, by the way. And... Um, so, you know, that, that they were in shock because they thought that I would be probably um, the last person to do it. But 
you know, I've been to reunions and things like that. And my classmates have been great. Um, Daly's accepted me. I took him a few years, but he's accepted me. He also got the double whammy of his younger brother coming out as gay at the same time. So that would have been tough for him in the society we grew up in. Um, you know, and then, uh, look, I was living in a semi, I was living in a rural area. We had turf farms. So we owned turf farms. Um, and there was a lot of pushback because I'd played group six country rugby league professionally out there. Um, for Oakdale so there, there was the, also that surprise and I was a, actually a fitness instructor out there so and, and was a, um, the assistant manager of a gym out there at, um, at, a, at a camp out Camden Way and so a lot of people were shocked out that way so and in those early transition days there was a, there was a lot of especially in those rural areas there's a lot of pushback to someone that's transgender so there was a there was a, a fair whack of people commenting and, and you know the pointing and all that sort of stuff and you know that I found that really tough um, when I transitioned but um, as far as my family it took them a while to come um, come around I'm actually going to play lawn bowls with my um, older brother and father today that's another sport I've taken up as long as I'm still playing cricket and doing athletics <laughs> retired from footy but um, so they've all come full circle and they all really support me now and um, but now I'm finding at the bowls um, because my brother and father, they sort of say, oh, we'll just keep your trans stuff quiet, you know. So uh, there again, I'm sort of living that. You're sort of out and then you're not out. And, you, you know, it's sort of always, you're always balancing that. And I find that sometimes it will be tough because you're always looking over your shoulder. But at, at this age at 55, I really I really couldn't give two hoots. So if someone's got a problem with me, then that's their problem. And, and you know. But yeah, look, for the most part, it's been really good. There was there was a time where my family um, struggled with acceptance. My mother was the first person. But I was too scared to tell my mother. She was a she's a uh, fashion um, she was a fashion designer. She had six dress shops and quite a successful fashion business back in the day. And I was quite scared to tell tell her. But um, she was probably the first one to, to really accept me with, as along with my younger brother, who I live with still, and um, and I'm their actual carers. Um, today so you know I've been very lucky and fortunate because I hear there's a lot of people out there that are trans that don't have that um, understanding and accepting nature and um, hearing both of you talk earlier and about those trans murders and things like that I also had a, had a trans friend that was murdered here in Sydney and she was a brilliant woman um, Nardine and, and that really um, hit home to me I'm how so far sorry. we still have to go into society yeah it's so, so it's such a waste of life you know it just it just upsets me no end so yeah now for you what was that moment when you said i can't keep one foot in one world and one foot in the other it's time for me to it's time for me to leave this closet and never come back to it yeah well that's interesting um i was still doing um the I suppose um, I was still try at 29. I was still trying to live that um, that life that is expected of us. And for me, you know, yes, yeah, yeah, cisgender heteronormative male, and um, and I'd have girlfriends and I had boyfriends and you know in the closet. And I was very confused sexually, but I was also very confused with my gender identity. And then it was about 30 that I just decided, well, I've got to do this. And um, I tried to. I went through. I had a boyfriend, went through a gay phase. I um, even went through trying to be non-binary um, before there was non-binary was around. And that was around that time, 28, 29. I'd been married for two years earlier, had a four year relationship there. 
And, you know, I got to 30 and, and, I, and I realized this is me. So the, the, the moment came and I just said, I've got to do this and I've got to do it now. And, um, and I was living on the turf farm we had out at my family, my family owned out at Orangeville, my, my mother owned out at Orangeville. And um, yeah, and that was a very, um, it was sort of almost, we used to have guns back then being on a hundred acre property and, and I had, we had a, a 22 and it was almost, I pulled out the 22 and thought, well, I could shoot myself or I can live. And I thought, well, I want to live. So that's when I decided to get um, medical help and professional help, psychological help. And yeah, so that was at age 30. And, um, and to me, um, once I decided that was it, and that's what I was doing, I was not scared anymore. And I've never, ever looked back. And, um, you know, sure, there's testing times and there's times where you wish you weren't trans. And, but um, for the most part, it's been, it's been pretty good and it's been, been a good ride. So um, I, I don't regret um, transitioning for, for one moment. So yeah, here's, somebody, here's somebody who should have regrets. The Lord Mayor of Perth, Basil Sampelius. Is that my, am I pronouncing that correctly? So uh, what did he say? <laughs> did, you, did you hear the latest? I've heard a few things from over, over in the West. So um, they're well, not apparently, apparently he was on a uh, talk show that he's a co-host of. He's also a sports announcer. And he talked about, if you've got a penis, you're a bloke. And he mentioned a lot of other transphobic things. And apparently his wife, of all people, was like scolding him saying, you can't talk like that. And he apologized and he says, that's not me. That's not my values. And I was just wondering if you had any comment on this kind of obvious transphobia. Uh, look, I'd, I'd heard his remarks. I, I didn't really take much notice of his name because he's really irrelevant to me. <laughs> but um, because we seem to get a, a, a fair few people coming out of, especially MPs and mayors and that. We've had Erica Betts say stuff about an eight-year-old running um, cross country and won the trans girls race and was, was well, sorry, the girls race that was trans. And, you know, oh, she shouldn't be competing. And that's even before there's any puberty, you know, hit. So there's no, how's there any advantage there? So they, they but with this guy, yeah, um, I did hear those comments. I did, didn't, you know, but I, I, yes, I do remember now the mayor, it was a few weeks ago, wasn't it? And I just think, you know, like it's just outdated. Um, it's outdated, you know, philosophy. It's, um, you know, as we all know, you, you, your gender's up here in your brain. You know, and for luck, luckily and fortunately for most people, their their physical and their their psychology matches. So their extrinsic and intrinsic matches. And for us, you know, trans folks, you know, unfortunately it doesn't. So, you know, we either uh, this is the ones that go for the medical model. Um, we have to have that affirmation surgery, things like that. For the people who don't, you know, like um, that feel that they're either non-binary or they don't need the surgery, then, you know, as I said, females up here in the brain. So um, I just think these people really need to do some research and uh, <laughs> do some research and, and, and you know, hopefully um, then the world will become a better place if they would do that research. But unfortunately, I doubt they will. Oh, the story is in outsports.com and I hope people will read it because we have to call these people out. Oh, absolutely. Well, Caroline, this year you've been calling some people out. I mean, for starters, <laughs> called World Rugby out. And uh, and I'll tell you, I was right there with you. I was like applauding, like, thank you. Thank you. And one person in particular, because I've noticed the, the running Twitter fight between yourself and a certain 
so, so then and a certain South African named Ross Tucker. Yes. Oh, and, that guy. And yeah. and Caroline, what was what was it about what happened with World Rugby that that just sat wrong with you the most? What was the what was the thing above all else that truly rubbed you the wrong way about that process? And I swear, in, in not real bad swear word. <laughs> no, but you know what really peeves me off is that, as I said, our our playing experience and all that. And, and look, I played at a higher level in both rugby league, a rugby union and rugby league. I represented New South Wales in women's rugby league, which is now huge here in Australia. And, you know, where they get, that's, that's rates huge, you know, on TV and they get big crowds of 10,000. So what really peeved me off was um, that our experience is just, it's just pushed aside, you know, like, um, if you ask anyone, it's a little bit like um, they have these committees about Indigenous people over here and you don't see an Indigenous person on it and you go, you know, WTF, <laughs> you know, like you just don't, you just, it's just ridiculous, you know, like, um, and so for me, the the whole just erasure is what upset me and, you know, I put a video out, which I think you probably both saw and I tucked me being tackled, tackling and this and that. And I played 11 years. I never injured one person, you know, and I actually actually was injured. You know, um, I had a bone bruising of the knee. I had uh, a protruding disc at L4, L5. I played against uh, women much bigger than myself. Um, there was one uh, lady, that, one woman that I played against, um, and she picked me up and dragged me 10 metres across the sideline and outweighed me probably by 20 kilos. And she was a Tongan lady um, and a very good athlete. She, she played for Australia herself. And I just sort of thought, well, I'm trans. I'm supposed to have the advantage. Well, where's that advantage? <laughs> you, know, like, um, you know, as I said, I got bone bruising being hit by another um, big Pacific Islander lady. And I did get around her and score to try in the process. But um, I know I ignored the injury and uh, and I had to pull out one day before I was going to play in that, that New South Wales Queensland clash. I had played the previous year, so I did get to wear blue colours. Um, but you know, it, it's it's just that continual erasure, and that um, people like Ross Tucker, I know best. You know, you have to listen to me. It's like mansplaining. So, um, <laughs> and it just really, really peeves me off. So. Um, I'm being polite when I say peeves me off. There's a lot of other words I would like <laughs> you know. And the thing is, you know, um, before I transitioned, I was a warrior. And after I transitioned, I'm still a warrior. I'm still that same person. Like, you know, um, if you, as I remember when I was one day, one of my throwing friends from athletics said to me, if there's one person I'd want in the trenches with me, it'd be you, Caroline. <laughs> so, you know, because I've got two personalities too. And, 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 you know, there's one, there's sort of that, that I, I know, Carly, you played sport yourself. And, um, you know, when you get in that zone and that sort of persona comes oh, out. Oh, yeah. Where did, that, where did that come from? You know, so it dawned for you, um, you, you know, I know because um, you, you, you're, 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 you're writing a really great article or, um, you know, I, I don't know your sporting background. Is there any sports you're really great at? But it's, it's that. You know, you get in that zone, whatever it may be, whether it's sport, writing an article or making a video or this or that, and that persona comes out. And and whether you're male or female, we've all bloody got it. And I'm just sick of these gender stereotypes that males are tougher and males are better and all that sort of stuff. So um, the whole 
the whole mansplaining and by um, people like um, like uh, Ross Tucker and Bill Beaumont, who's, you know, I, I'd say probably two years on the side of 100. I'm probably being a little bit cruel there, but, <laughs> you know, it, 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 they've just got outdated views. And I, I just think, um, and, and, you know, and they've got other people on there. And I know... I was in a meeting with them and they just shouted me down and I and I just stuck I just stuck to my guns and said no I'm not happy with this and you know and that was one of their their chief medical doctor who plays and even Joanna Harper said to me you know she's huge <laughs> you know on the quiet I probably I don't know if I can this could be on the record <laughs> but you know, she's huge you know like so how does she get to make decisions and then you've got the other one the legal representative um I've forgotten her name now but um, one's called Rue and the other one, Dr. Chinto, and there's the other one, um, oh, I've forgotten her name, but she's a lawyer. And I'm like, how do, you, how do you expect to win this? So anyway, there's my thoughts on it. And I just think it's, it's just a total farce. <laughs> the, the one who always gets me besides Ross Tucker is Dr. Emma Hilton. Fond oh, of oh, find the bugs. And Speak I, the bugs. I, I, I had so many Twitter arguments with Dr. Emma Hilton, Fond of Beatles. That I finally had a blocker. I just had to. It got to be just. There was no point. I couldn't convince her. She's not going to convince me. So what was the point, right? It just seemed like she wanted. She wanted the battle, and I think Ross Tucker wants it too. They want to have the battle, which for whatever reason makes them happy. But to answer your question, Caroline, um, I excelled at bowling. I was a very good right guard in soccer when I was young. But okay. in baseball, I played left out, as in <laughs> they left me out. Um, I, was, I was in the outfield, and my father asked me, what were you muttering out in the outfield? It looked like you were saying, like, you know, no batter, no batter. I said, no. I was praying, don't hit the ball to me. <laughs> don't hit the ball to me. <laughs> I hear a sound, and that sound means that we have to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to ask you about something that I think is just amazing and incredible. We're talking about a documentary. A short documentary. Is this Queensland in the 20s? Caroline's going to tell us all about it. When we come back on the other side, you're in the Transporter Room. And welcome back to the Transporter Room. Carly Chardonnay-Webb and Don Innes. And our guest today is Australian rugby standout Caroline Late someone who has been very vocal in trans rights in sport and also is a documentary filmmaker. I've, I saw one of your earlier films on the issue with world rugby. It was beautiful and also on your own story, but you've got a new film ready to drop talking about talking about uh, one of my favorite places in the world, the Gold Coast, Queensland, and what's going on down there? Yeah, well, I made a um, documentary on um, rainbow beaches, rainbow stairs, and um, they were painted by all-inclusive sporting organisation Team Rainbow um, at Rainbow Beach. So where else would you have a great set of stairs, you know, in rainbow colours? And um, so they hired some painters to come up because the locals didn't want anything to do with it. And um, yeah, so, so I'm just covering the ins and outs and the going ons of what happened in, um, in the Sunshine Coast, which is about probably three, three um, hours drive north of the Gold Coast. 
but um, those stairs were painted as a legacy to the 2018 Gold Coast Commonwealth Games Pride House because Rainbow Beach's um, Team Rainbow had been involved in um, the, the Gold Coast Pride House at that time in conjunction with a fellow called Matt Hall, who was a project manager. And um, so he got all these people together and Team Rainbow were on that um, and organising. They, they, were, they were running all the funding and all that, which was, which was fantastic, I thought. So exactly what's the, con but there's a controversy involved with the paying yes. of these stairs. What is the, what exactly is the controversy about? Okay, the controversy is about the, the stairs being painted by Team Rainbow. And then what happened was um, a, a person came in and graffiti tagged them and put how good is living on there. And so therefore she hijacked the message because everyone thought the stairs were painted for this how good is living message. And look, the message is, is fine. Don't have a problem with it. Um, it was apparently to do with cancer and apparently a partner of hers was sick or, or you know, had, had died from cancer um, from what I heard. And, um, but the whole thing was that the stairs were commissioned by the Queensland state government um, and funded by them to be painted by Team Rainbow. So there was a whole kerfuffle over who painted the stairs and, and Team Rainbow being erased. And I think, you know, the Team Rainbow were in with the locals um, and the Rainbow Beach Commerce and Tourism um, Group. But I think they fell out when all of a sudden um, that this, the Rainbow Beach Commerce and Tourism found out that they were uh, a, a gay, an inclu fully inclusive gay sporting organisation. And I think there was a little bit of a panic button there. And it's like a Liberal National Party area, similar to a lot of Trumpism in your part of the world. And they panicked and it was like, oh, we don't want anything to do with them. And therefore they just went hard and, and really pushed this how good is living message. And uh, even had police officers turning up being photographed with them and things like that. So I just wanted to document this erasure because um, uh, I had had dealings with people that run Team Rainbow and I had had dealings with them. I'd been on some of their conferences and spoke at them when they were, when um, Dr. Daryl Gould, who's the secretary of Team Rainbow when he was a president of Team Sydney um and i just thought it was a really good story to investigate and um yeah so that's that's what happened and then council did come in and get involved but um so it's sort of been resolved but i just wanted to document the whole the whole going on over that 18 month period and i wanted to make sure that everyone knew that team rainbow were the ones that implemented those stairs and it wasn't this how good is living um graffiti tag staying with this for a second like we talked earlier about the changes in Australian sport in regards to inclusion, but give me your view just in day-to-day -day living. What, where do you think the level of inclusion is in your country? Just, just on the day-to-day -day standpoint, not so much in the sporting issue or the more quote-unquote official things, but just day-to-day -day -day interactions like at the grocery store, on the beach, on the bus. What's it like day-to-day? -day? being a trans person uh, in Australia? Yeah, look, um, I, my day-to-day -day is fine. Um, I don't have too many problems. But um, I, I'd say for someone starting out or someone, you know, and I'm going back to my early transition, yeah, very tough. So, you know, the, the finger pointing and people laughing and all that sort of stuff. So, but in saying that, that's going back probably 15, 
years ago. And I've got a few few dear friends that still have trouble in that manner. So from what they've told me, um, yeah, it's it's pretty tough. For me, um, you know, 25 years post post op, it's probably you know hormones have done a good job. I'm probably one of the lucky ones that can sort. I'm only five foot seven. Um, even though I'm solid in that, my dad was a jockey, so so I can sort of get by. So for me personally, but day-to-day issues are good, but then there's still issues like, you know, I've had issues where um, people were aware that I was trans and I was covering um, women's rugby league. And I went to uh, interview, as a former New South Wales player, I went to interview Maddie Studden, the captain of the winning New South Wales team a couple of years ago. And I had two male journalists tell me that I couldn't interview her and they were aware I was trans. And they played silly buggers and sent me to the change room, knowing full well I didn't have accreditation. They said, oh, you can interview in the change rooms. And then I went to interview in the ch- to go to the change room. said, oh, you can't go there. And I turned around and said, oh, see, and they were just laughing. And then I had a press pass um, denied to me too. And I went to the anti-discrimination board. Um, and, uh, and that was dismissed because the person who I was... Um, having a go as she tried to deny me a press pass to the NRLW grand final. And that was dismissed by the ADB because she, she works with disabled ch- children. So she couldn't be transphobic. So that's what I got back, <laughs> you know, so it, it, it's just, there's still issues there, even though I consider myself, you know, I played a year in stealth. I am reasonably passable. Um, I don't like using that term because I am a trans woman, um, but I also see myself as female. Um, I don't like using passing um, because I see myself as a female, but as a trans woman, yes, I do get around okay, but there are still issues when people do know. So it's not always, um, and and it has affected me. I really would have loved to have kept on writing about um, mainstream sport and all that, but I just knew it wasn't going to happen. So I went to plan B and started doing the queer stuff because I knew I would be accepted in this sphere and then in this. So yeah, so I think in this country, much like your country, um, depending where you live, there's still a long way to go. So um, we're probably on par where you are in America. Indeed, a long way to go. I, um, I don't like that word passing either because I think there's so many people who transition who just, they don't have a chance of blending in and they shouldn't have to. We should be able to be mature enough to say, you are the gender you say you are. And I often get... Um, misgendered over the phone or at a drive-through because I have to put on my other voice. Hi, this is Dawn. You know, my name is Dawn. And if I don't talk like this, if I talk in my normal voice, they'll say, sir. And I'll say, actually, it's ma'am. And then someone usually apologizes. And I say, well, not everybody has a sweet, beautiful voice like you. I mean, there are a lot of actresses and singers who have voices that are in our range. And by the way, you and I are the same height, five, seven which I love because we're not too tall, we're not too short, we're just right, you know? So if, if you could be anything except for an athlete, what do you think you'd be? What would you have done if athletics was not something you could have chosen? Um, yeah, probably uh, film. <laughs> so you've gone, um, yeah, probably film if um, in another life, um, you know, whether that was probably behind the camera, but who knows, younger and... You know, um, although I'd probably fluff my lines, I think, if I was a, if I was an actor. But I, I, I think doing the doco stuff and all that, I'd love to be involved there somewhere. So that's probably what I would like to do if I wasn't involved in sport. Um, 
you know, I'm sort of heading in that direction anyway. <laughs> uh, you know, docos and all that. But um, yeah, uh, probably um, I don't see myself, um, I don't know, uh, probably wasn't all that scholastic at school, um, although I did well on my journalism degree. So yeah, probably film, I'd say. Um, uh, you know, I don't know, or maybe an astronaut. That would be a lot of fun. I, I, I know. <laughs> I'm a huge sci-fi fan. I knew we'd go here some sometime right. Oh yeah, later. sure. I mean, this is the sci-fi podcast, the Trans Sporter Room. What are you grooving on sci-fi-wise right now? What are you grooving on? Well, hey, I'm watch, doing you in I that watch. dream. I want to be an astronaut too. <laughs> yeah, let's three be of us. Let's, let's let's all go. You know, let's approach <laughs> NASA. Come on, NASA. Yeah, but you're right, Carly. Carly's right. What's your what's your thing? What's your group? Uh, well, I, I was watch. I watched that away, which um, they were flying to Mars, and that had Hilary Swank in it. So, and I really enjoyed that recently. So that's I think that's probably ten or 15, 20 years away that they they're going to go to Mars, and, and it was quite realistic. I watched the Challenger shuttle. That's not sci-fi. That's actually a science fact. And I watched that. That uh, was it. The, the Challenger where they the Challenger yes. shuttle. Were, there were two. There was there was the the one landing and the one taking off. The Columbia um, explosion yeah. on its way uh, to landing on February third, yeah. two thousand three, and the Challenger exploded on January twenty eighth, nineteen eighty six. I covered both of them. Yeah, it was a Challenger one, nineteen eighty six, with um uh, with uh, the school teacher and um yeah, Krista uh, McGollum. There you go. So what an amazing um, memory. But look, as far as sci fi goes, look, I love the whole the whole game. But I love I love Star Wars. I love Star Trek. Um, I really got into Stargate over the last six months or so. And I mean, I don't even watch the movie. So I love all that stuff. You've never like, seen the film. Wow. And the series is a lot different. I loved it. And then I got into the one where they're traveling around the Star Stargate universe. And then there was the Atlantis one. And I was like hooked. Um, and then I love um, uh, the other one. I'm trying to think of the name. Um, I bought all the DVDs for it. <laughs> and you know, you even go to the Hunger Games. I love the Hunger. I know they're not going into space. You know, I love the Hunger Games because I want to know what make makes people and dictators tick. That they want they want to be so cruel to people. You know, like I watch all the zombie stuff, like um, Walking Dead and Fear the Walking Dead, because I want to know how I'd survive a put an apocalypse. <laughs> but yeah, as far as Star Trek, I mean, probably Star Trek and Star Wars would be my favourites. Probably like everyone else and Stargate. You know, and the other one. Um, Oh, I do know. I've got I've got all the discs sitting out there, and um, uh, where they fought all, fought all the machines that they made. Um, Battlestar Galactica. There you go, Battlestar Galactica. I love <laughs> Battlestar Galactica. This I'm into all of that, you know. Like, and um, I have been watching a bit of Star uh, Star, uh, Star Trek: The Discovery. So, well, did they show season. season three down there? Yeah, they've got it. They've got it. I haven't got quite haven't quite got to it yet. I'm watching um, Michael and the Spock thing play out where they're kids too awesome i just last week interviewed tig nataro who plays jet reno she's the engineer with the sarcastic tone on yep. Star Trek discovery and what a treat i don't have any audio i can play because she asked me not to share the audio of our interview and she wouldn't do video but i will tell you what a treat um she has a podcast which is an advice podcast and it's yep. sort of a tongue-in-cheek but just a fun person. Um, uh, she's battled cancer. Uh, wow. Just amazing person in terms of, you know, her dedication to uh, her craft as far as stand-up. She has this great bit where she talks to a famous actress and tells her 
I love your voice and keeps going on about how she keeps running into this actress. I really recommend anything by Tig Notaro if you love deadpan humor and sarcasm. Is is she um Tilly? Is that is that no? Her? She plays Janet. Sorry, Janet. she plays Jet Reno. Jet Reno, and, I can't. And she's the she's the engineer with the uh, with the uh, sardonic tone. Um, Tilly's great. I'm hoping to talk to Tilly. Her name is Mary Wiseman, and yep. I love her. She's great. Yeah, no, they're all they're all fantastic, and um, you know, like I, like I love all those shows. I mean, I love um, like when when the new Star Trek came out. I know I'm going back backtracking now. I'm going back to the movies. Uh-huh. But um, when I saw um, Hemsworth there, I was like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> Captain, Captain Kirk's uh, father's pretty hot. <laughs> yeah, they're, hoping, they're hoping to get him back. They'd look to do yeah, a sequel to that, but we'll see. Money, money, money. Yeah, money, money, money. And I, look, I mean, I've got a short attention span, so the movies really suit me. <laughs> but, you know, I do like the series too. And um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll get more into Discovery. And um, as I said, I got through to the second season and, you know, I tend to watch a bit here and a bit there, and then I'll go on other series and I come back. And um, sure. you know, that's that's a, that's the power of having Netflix and, um, <laughs> and, and all that. So, but look, I'm a total star and a sci-fi, you know, geek, and you know, I just love it. And, You're in good company. Hey, Carly, no, actually, no, actually, first off, because Caroline's talking about all this great stuff getting down there. Yeah. Now I want to I want to give a shout out to something Australian that's gotten here. Oh, here we go the, with the, the, the Miss No, the Miss Fisher's mysteries. Thank you, Netflix. Fry Fisher is my girl. <laughs> She's my girl. So what's You're that more about? familiar with it than she is. <laughs> <laughs> no, let me just put it this way. Let me just put it this way. Set in set in the 1920s, you've got basically a single woman who saws mysteries, drives a sports car. And basically, and and basically lives life by her own rules. Yeah. I love that's what I love about it because I mean, you're talking about the you're talking about the, I mean, beyond liberated. You're talking about a 21st century woman yeah. in the 1920s. Well, she's setting the scene, isn't she? Oh she's yes, oh yes. But I am. I mean, huge sci-fi fan, and plus, um, as far as sci-fi, one of my favorite. One of my favorite sci-fi series, The Hundred. The lead character is an Australian, so oh, yes, we got I yes, yeah. The, There's another one. <laughs> no, but we're getting no. But hey, like I said, I hey, anytime we can get some exchange, anytime we can get some exchange, it's a good thing. And absolutely. But I mean, of course, Mad Max and Mad Max Two. I mean, yes. the the ultimate exchange for two reasons. One, the movie's great, and two, I want that car. Oh yeah. I yeah, want yeah, yeah. that Ford Falcon. Right? I want that car. I w- I'll race you for it. <laughs> the interceptor. Oh, oh bump that. I mean, I'll tell no, you're talking about your I mean, you're talking about what you would do if you weren't in the if you didn't weren't an athlete. If yeah. I hadn't gone into sports journalism, ah. I wanted to be a race car driver and I want to drive in the Aussie supercar series because there's there's a certain track in Australia that I have to see at least once. It's on the Carly bucket list. It's called Bathurst. And I want um, to race there. I've set around there. I've set I around wanna, there. What was that like? Oh, it was awesome. Um, I In my little Swift, um, I went out to play rugby. <laughs> I probably get booked now. I went out to play rugby and um, we, we had a trial match out there against the rep team from Central West. 
after the game, the bus, I overtook the bus and just sped around and all these hair, hairpin turns <laughs> and just flew around them and waved the bus by and off I went. And luckily I didn't get booked because apparently they got coppers there all the time. But you would love it. <laughs> no, I no, my dream is one lap, Mount Panorama, Peter in Peter Brock's Tirana. Oh, I want that oh I want that little I want that little thing that they crammed a big engine in. I mean, yeah. he won it in 79. In fact, the car yes, was just so impressive on the last lap of the race at the fastest lap of the race. Every time yeah, yeah, I he, watch that, he got, I get chills looking at us like, God, I got to drive that track once in my life. Yeah. Total legend, Peter Brock. And, um, and yeah, you'd love it. And I think if um, you two come out down here, we'll, 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 we'll try to organize that. So, and I'll take you out there. So, okay. Now on one condition, if Kirsty Miller, if Kirsty shows up, oh yes. <laughs> it'll be the oh no that'd be a party at that point yeah 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 I'm, I'd, I'd say Kirsty will probably will definitely show up she's um only a hop skip and a jump um out in the outback at um broken hill so it'll take her you know so many hours to get there she'll use a hot rod to get there and um, i'm sure she'll be there <laughs> but um i think that'd be great you know it'd be that'd be a great uh weekend or weekday or whatever but um definitely if he's come out he's come out here we'll definitely be going to do that so and we'll try to organize that um with the powers of b first so we have to be able to travel to your country i'm pretty yeah. sure we're banned yes. <laughs> well hopefully there's americans sorry as Americans, I think we're banned from traveling yeah. to the country. Oh, only for the moment. Once, once we, well, I'm hoping these vaccines work, and then hopefully, um, we'll uh, be back up and you know running. And 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 I'm just gonna make you two laugh. So sorry. I just... <laughs> Hello, Dougie. Hey, look at you. <laughs> for those watching, there's a dog. For those listening, there's a dog. <laughs> He wrecks all my interviews. I was doing one with James McKenzie on 3CN. Woof, woof, woof. But everyone loves him anyway. Oh, absolutely. We have to have you back, Caroline. Yes, we do. Yes, thank you for having me. An honor. And thank you for joining us in the transporter room. Thank you for having me, transporter room. And and I've really enjoyed myself. And it's just been a really fun interview. So thank you, Dawn. And thank you, Carly. Carly set coordinates for Sydney, Australia. Beaming Caroline back down. Caroline, thank you. You have to come back. I will be back in America. Don't you worry. Live long and prosper. Steady as she goes. Take care, Carly. See you next week. You too, Don. For next week, don't forget, folks, we have a special show looking back at all of 2020. The Transporter Room highlights next week on the Transporter Room.